Let's come over in our Bibles to Leviticus 16. Tonight is a special day in the Jewish calendar. It's the ninth day of the seventh month. And that day is coming to an end, and at 6 p.m., which we've now passed, it's now the tenth day of the seventh month. And this is the Day of Atonement in the Jewish calendar. Today it's called Yom Kippur. Those so-called Jews that exist today, whether they be Jews or whether they not be Jews, will not worry ourselves with that issue. They themselves do not think that they're Jews, so we'll let their own confession stand, but that doesn't really matter. They don't know what they're doing. PETA will no longer let them have their bullocks and goats and rams, so they've totally corrupted the Day of Atonement into a day in their synagogues and other places where they observe this Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Well, we're going to look in the Bible at the Day of Atonement from Leviticus chapter 16. I hope that the review will be profitable for you, and we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills every aspect of it. And we, 2,000 years later, are partaking of an altar that they have no right to partake of. And wait till I conclude with that verse from Hebrews 13. But let's just hold on and look at Leviticus 16 for a few minutes and realize that the Day of Atonement was fulfilled 2,000 years ago. And all we do is celebrate the fact that it has been fulfilled we're not looking for its fulfillment as they are, and they're not even looking for it correctly. Leviticus chapter 16. The course I'd like to follow is to read a verse or two at a time, give a brief sense of the words, and go on. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. If you go back six chapters to Leviticus chapter 10, you will read about Nadab and Abihu, two sons of Aaron who offered strange fire before the Lord. It doesn't tell us what the strange fire was. I would like to suggest to you that it was going into the Holy of Holies with incense, thinking that they could go into the presence of God whenever they chose to. It doesn't tell us exactly what the strange fire was but to go in at an unauthorized time into the presence of God because it says they died there before the Lord. Well, I'll tell you where the Lord was in the tabernacle, and it wasn't in the outer court, and it wasn't in the tabernacle of the congregation. It was in the holy place. And so the, war the context of it right here with a warning about going into that holy place, and you have in your hands a diagram that I'm not going to refer to too much. But there was a fence, a, a, a curtain all the way around the courtyard where the, alt, the, burnt, the altar of burnt offering was. Then there was a tent structure, the first section of which priests could go into in their daily ministration, but a little secret compartment at the back end of that that only one priest could go into once a year, and that on the Day of Atonement, and that's what we're reading about here in Leviticus 16. The implication is that those two sons of Aaron thought they could go in there, and they died. The value of that first verse is this. There is no approach to the holy God that we worship. Even when you are the sons of Aaron and appointed to the office of priest, even though you go in there to the right Lord in the right place with incense, they died before the Lord. 
There is no approach to our God. You can approach everyone on this earth and you stand a good chance of snowing them, deceiving them, or influencing them, or buying them in order to win their acceptance. There is no such winning of the acceptance of our holy God. The holiness of God is no longer taught. But if you were to go back to Leviticus chapter 10, you would read about the holiness of that God. How he burned up those two sons of Aaron, and then Aaron could not mourn his own sons because they had not sanctified the Lord their God. Amen. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times, into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. The Lord tells Moses, you make sure your brother Aaron does not come in here whenever he feels like it. I will tell him when he can come to me, and I will tell him how he can come to me, because I'm going to be over that mercy seat. If he steps through that veil without my authorization and my purpose for him being there, he'll die just like his sons. That is the God that we're all going to meet. He created us, and he's worthy of all our praise, no matter where he sends us. There's never been a God imagined like him. He is the Lord Jehovah. I am that I am, and he will not be mocked by any man, including his own priests of the Old Covenant. Verse 3, Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now, brethren, Aaron did not lead a bullock nor a ram into the holy place. This is another figure of speech called a synecdoche where the hole is put for the part. He was to bring the blood of those two things into the holy place. Just a small point, but read your Bibles with care. The Lord did not want those animals trotting around his mercy seat. He brought the blood from these two animals. With a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. Aaron was the high priest. He ordinarily wore an, an outrageously beautiful set of clothes. You can read about it in the description that God gives of it in the Old Testament here, in the books of Moses. Mm -hmm. This time he was putting on the ordinary attire of an ordinary priest in utter humility before God. He was nothing. He was reduced to all the level of all the other priests in just their simple linen garments. He did not have on the decorative outfit of the high priest of Israel. And it was beautiful and colorful. This was just the simple linen outfits of the priests. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now we've had five animals mentioned, and please don't lose track of them. It's not that difficult. Aaron has to bring a bullock for himself, a sin offering. He has to bring a ram for a burnt offering. The people of Israel have to pony up two goats and another ram for their burnt offering. We've got five animals. We're going to take care of all five 
on this Day of Atonement. The bullock and the ram for Aaron and his family, all the priests need to be sanctified because they were sinners as much as the rest of Israel. And then two goats and a ram for the rest of the nation because they were sinners. Verse 6, And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. The bullock he was to offer for himself. We're going to retrace our steps a couple of times. When we get through 16, you'll know the Day of Atonement procedures very well. It's one of the feasts that is laid out plainly. The bullock was for Aaron and his family because they were sinners and they needed that the blood of that bullock. But then two goats were to be brought before the, the tent compartments that you can see in your diagram, and those two goats were there, and Aaron was to cast lots. And I want to tell you something. In a lot, there is no chance. In God's lot, there is no chance. The lot is cast into the lap, Proverbs 16, 33 tells us, but the whole disposing thereof of the is of the Lord. Amen. And so it is in the matter of salvation. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. That's why we read things like in Acts 13, 48, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. A lot was cast, two goats, one goat was going to come up, the Lord's goat. It was going to have its blood drained out of it. It was going to be a sin offering. The other goat was going to be the scapegoat. Children, a scapegoat. This is a new word in our Bibles, a scapegoat. It's the only place it occurs in our Bibles, right here, a scapegoat. A scapegoat is a word that we use in our language to mean someone or something that we blame for all our faults, all our sins, all our errors. We put all our faults on that scapegoat and we make them accountable for it. And that's a good definition of the word because that's why our English translators picked this word from the Hebrew word that is here, which we don't even need to know. It's a scapegoat. I'm sick of reading about men guessing as to what a Hebrew word meant. This is a scapegoat, and all we're going to read about it, Aaron is going to put the sins of the whole nation on the head of this goat, and it is going to be led out to where it gets lost, and it's devoured by wild animals, because all those sins are going to be taken far away from the nation of Israel, and all of this, every animal and every piece of action is a, is a picture of what the Lord, blessed Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And so we have these two goats. And Aaron, in clothes that he didn't wear any other time of year, would cast lots. One goat was for the Lord, its blood goes in on the mercy seat. The other goat gets all the sins put on it and is taken out in the wilderness to be lost. Ver number nine, verse number nine. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. A sin offering in this particular event was to have its blood let out its fat thrown up on the altar, and the rest of it's going to be hauled outside the camp and burned. Every bit of skin, hide, flesh, and dung goes outside the camp and gets burned. Its blood is drained, and Aaron is going to take his finger and dip it in that blood and sprinkle it 
all the way inside that, that compartment of the holiest of all, where God dwells. That's the sin offering. The burnt offering, the whole thing gets chucked up on the altar, and it's all burned up. And that comes later. So verse 9 is telling us, God telling Moses, Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall, now we're, trace, we're retracing steps. He's introduced these five animals to us. And now he's going to back up and talk about the first animal mentioned, the bullock. I'm sorry if my interruptions cause you any frustration in reading through the chapter. If I just read through it, you're going to lose a lot. I'm telling you right now, he's backing up and he's going to retrace through these animals now, the bullock. Aaron brings it for himself. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. Did he say it enough times? Mm -hmm. There's a reason you're going to love Hebrews. I'm gonna, we'll go to Hebrews before I finish. You'll love Hebrews. It's going to tell you what some of those statements in Hebrews mean, because we understand this day that was observed for 1,500 years. The right way. A sin offering, I told you what that means. He's going to kill it. He's going to drain its blood. He's going to get some of that blood in a basin. He's going to take that blood with him, and he's about to go in and meet the Lord. But he needs to take something else with him. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. He's bringing lots of incense and some burning coals of fire. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord. When he steps through that veil, and he faces that little box called the Ark of the Covenant, and those two cherubim are over it with their outstretched wings, he is to dump that incense, his hands full of it, on the fire of those coals, and smoke would billow up in that little tiny room where that Ark was, and in that smoke, God would be there. This is how the Lord was met under the old covenant. And he shall, verse 13, and he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. It would be just a cloudy room filled with smoke, dark, there's no lights in there except the glow of the coals, and all this incense smoke filling the room because no one looks upon God. No man... No man has seen God, nor ever will see God. Right. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ. He dwells in the thick darkness, Solomon said when he dedicated the temple. Paul said he dwells in a light that no man can approach unto. And so as soon as he stepped through that veil, up went the smoke of the incense, and God was there. And he's about to meet God the only way that anyone can ever come to God, and that is by the death of a substitute. Verse 14, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. If you look at your little layout, you will see that for it to be eastward on the mercy seat is between the people and the Lord. It's on the east side of that mercy seat. That's between the mercy seat 
and the people. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven in the Bible is a number of perfection. He took seven days to create the heavens and the earth by choice. He could have done it in three. He could have done it in 13. He chose seven. And there's Aaron in there seven times. How many times did Naaman dip to be made whole? Seven. How many times did Israel march around the city of Jericho for the walls to fall down? Seven. I'm not going to run all the examples of seven in your Bibles, but it's a number of perfection, and I'm thankful that I can read in this 14th verse that he dipped the blood and sprinkled it seven times because it was showing us a picture of the perfection of the sacrifice of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you all with me? It's actually quite dramatic, isn't it? I hope you're all with me. He now walks back out through that veil. All he's done so far is make an atonement for himself and his house. All he's done is make himself temporarily good enough as a priest to offer on behalf of the people. Isn't that pitiful? You know we have a better priest than that, don't you? Amen. I can't wait to get to Hebrews, but we've got to lay the foundation. Then shall he, Aaron comes back out, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering. Now remember, there were two goats. One was the Lord's, one was the scapegoat. This is the Lord's. Its throat is cut, its blood is let out. It's the sin offering. So he comes back out and he gets the blood from this one of the two goats that the congregation put up for their sacrifice. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Can you tell how many times when it says to do it the same way as the bullock? Would you quit at six? You would do seven or you would die before the Lord. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. All of that is to say, God put his place of worship among a sinful people. And for that place of worship to be acceptable to God, an atonement had to be made once a year to cleanse it with blood for the Lord to accept the worship of those sinful people using that tabernacle that remained among them. Do you understand that? For worship to be acceptable to God, there has to be a blood sacrifice. And for that tabernacle to be an acceptable place of worship 365 days a year, it had to be hallowed, sanctified, and an atonement made for sin once a year for it to be acceptable because it was in the midst of a sinful people. Verse 17, And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place. The little tiny compartment is the holy place. Sometimes it's called the holiest of all. The tabernacle of the congregation is the little larger building that sticks out from that little holy place in your little diagram. But when he's inside, no one's near him. No one else goes with him. No one else is even in the tabernacle of the congregation to get a peek through the veil as he passes through it. Until he come out 
and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. No one goes in to that first compartment until he has come out and is all done because God did not want anyone else even looking through the movement of the veil where he was. Our God is holy. But Jesus Christ made a great difference in the veil, didn't he? Yes, he did. Verse 18, And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock, and of the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. If you've ever read about that altar, it had horns at the corners. I remember reading about Joab, knowing that his life was in danger from his cousin, Solomon, and he ran in and grabbed the horns of the altar, thinking that he could save himself there. And Benaiah came back, a reverent man to Solomon, and said, he's hanging on the horns of the altar. Go do it anyway. Drag him out of there and do it. So Benaiah did it, the horns of the altar. But there's Aaron with that same blood, the blood of the bullock for him, the blood of the goat, the Lord's goat, for the people. Verse 19, and he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Their sin infected everything. And so God wanted that blood sprinkled seven times on every piece of furniture for it to be acceptable to him. He had to have blood there. One false move, what was going to happen to Aaron? Dead. Just like his two sons. He's, he's moving carefully these days. Verse 20, because the Lord said, I'll be sanctified by everyone that approaches unto me. They will treat me as a holy God. Verse 20, and when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Remember, there's another goat there, and the lot fell on it to be the scapegoat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Now that's a long verse, but it's a precious verse. Aaron puts his two hands on the head of this living goat that is left. When the lot was cast, one goat became a sin offering. Its blood is now in the mercy seat. The other goat's alive. Aaron puts his hands there, and look at what it says. He confesses all the iniquities and all the trespasses of all the sins of the people. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful that all sins of mine, past, present, and future, all the iniquities and trespasses of Jonathan Crosby were put upon the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible says he hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. Are you thankful? Amen. He puts his hands there and he confesses all the sins of all the people. He is standing in his priest between all the people and God. And he confesses all the sins and then he turns that goat over to a man that they've chosen and that man's about to run a PR in a marathon out into the wilderness. And that fit man takes that goat way out into the wilderness where it's going to be lost. And he leaves it out there and he comes back into camp 
and he washes himself, we're going to read it, because he's polluted, because he led that goat on a short little leash out there into the wilderness. But he was close enough to the sin that he has to wash himself, then he can come and join the congregation. All those sins, by a picture, <coughs> this doesn't really take away sin, by a picture, are lost. What does the Bible say of our sins? How far away are they? As far as the east is from the west. He's put them behind his back. How many does he remember? He'll remember them no more. What a picture. And so that man, the fittest man of Israel, a man fit for the occasion, takes that goat far away. We come to verse 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. The sins are lost. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. The first compartment, he changes. He gets out of those linen garments that are typical of all the priests and he gets back into his regular suit. Sins have been paid for. Now it's time to worship the Lord. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments, those are his ordinary garments, and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering. Remember the bullocks? The bullock sin offering was for Aaron in his house. The goat sin offering, the goat that died, was for the rest of the people of Israel, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place. Shall This is the middle of verse 27. Shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung, everything pertaining to them. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. Do you see the holiness that is required in all of these activities? I hope you're following. I hope that it's all made sense in your minds about these five animals and what they were for and how they were treated and where the blood was put and what had blood shed and what was just burned up and where the carcasses were burned, the ones that had their blood shed and where the scapegoat was with all his sins. He's lost out in the wilderness, a place not inhabited. I love it. Every little word of God is pure to a place not inhabited. No people there. And this shall be a statute forever unto you. What I've just read shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Now, did that really take away their sins? No. no, it did not really take them away legally, but it did take them away sufficiently that the Lord would accept their worship for the next year. They could come in and worship the Lord, and he would accept them. And they could have a conscience purged enough to be able to function for the next year, even though they knew that the blood of animals really didn't take their sins away. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. 
pretty serious. Afflict your souls. And the priest, whom he shall anoint, this is the next high priest, after Aaron, and the priest, whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments, and he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins, once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Aaron did it. The Day of Atonement. Did you see how many times the word atonement was used? Remember, a simple definition for the word of atonement, to put at one. Two people separated. Two people se separated in an enmity with each other. God against men. Men are sinful and they've break, broken the commandments of God. God is angry and offended with them for breaking his commandments. They're separated in an enmity. And atonement is a sacrifice that is made to put the two at one. To reconcile God to men and to put away their sins. And this is how it happened in a picture of what Jesus Christ was going to do for us. Let's turn to the book of Hebrews. I hope you were able to follow that. There is no approach to God bold, boldly without blood. He covers himself up with incense, and he has to come in there with blood and sprinkle it seven times on that mercy seat in order for himself to be accepted, even though he was the, priest, the high priest. And then he has to do it for the people. Now, I'm just going to quickly read some verses to you from Hebrews. Remember the book of Hebrews? The Apostle Paul is writing converted Jews who missed some of these Old Testament ceremonies. They knew it was the religion of God. They knew those priests were God's priests, the altar was God's altar, and the temple was God's temple. They were suffering enormous persecution and being tempted severely to go back from their Christianity back into the law of Moses. These are converted, baptized, believing Jews tempted to go back under the old covenant and, and keep the law of Moses again. And so the whole book is the Apostle Paul explaining the religion of Jesus is far superior to that old covenant of Moses. And he takes it from one angle, then another, then another, from the first chapter to the end of the book. Amen. It's a wonderful epistle. And it sets up the Lord Jesus Christ in a more concentrated form than any other epistle of the New Testament. Because it's just a constant comparison of Jesus and the New Covenant with every aspect of the Old Covenant. But let's look at priests. And let's think about the Day of Atonement that we just read about in the light of a few verses from Hebrews. Hebrews 5.3. Here's priests are chosen from among men. And it says in verse 3, And by reason hereof, because priests of, from, chosen from among men are sinful men just like the men they're chosen from among. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Every priest chosen from among men has to go offer for himself first before he can offer for the people. But you know what you're about to read in Hebrews 5 is that there's a new priest not made after the order of Aaron or after Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek, a totally different kind of priest. Come to 7, 
chapter 7. I want you to know Hebrews. Those Jews reading Hebrews, they knew all about the Day of Atonement. But we just caught up to them by reading Leviticus 16. We come to Hebrews 7.27, it says, Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice, look at this, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. Jesus Christ only had to offer himself once. He didn't have to go in once with the blood of a bullock, come back out, get the blood of a goat, go back in for the people. Jesus Christ offered his own blood once. And that was sufficient because he didn't have to offer anything for himself because he was the pure, spotless, infinitely holy, separate from sinners, undefiled Lamb of God. Amen. And he entered in once inside the veil for you and for me with his own blood. He didn't have to do it for himself, then for the people. He just did it for us once. How about chapter 9? Hebrews chapter 9. Now I'm going to read a lengthy passage. And you're going to follow. And you're going to try to be like those noble Israelites who were able to stand from morning until midday and hear the word of God read distinctly. I'm going to read 14 verses. It's not as long as movies run between commercial breaks. I say that to remind you that this is nothing. Listen to these words and understand them in light of that diagram you have and of what I just told you about the Day of Atonement. Beginning at verse 1 of Hebrews 9. Then, verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Every day they went into the first compartment, which was called the sanctuary or the tabernacle of the congregation. Because they were offering sacrifices every day, they were putting showbread out, so forth. But... Into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Do you understand Hebrews 9, 7 more perfectly now? It's the exact fulfillment of the, I mean, it's, it's the day of atonement being described in one verse. Verse 8. Here's what we're supposed to read from the day of atonement. The Holy Ghost, this signifying showing in sign language this, these facts of theological truth. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. It was not yet revealed or shown to us 
how men were going to be able to get to the presence of God. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing, while that form of worship was being done, God had not shown yet how men were going to be accepted by God and be able to go into his presence, which was a figure, a picture, which was a picture for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings. Did we read about several washings? and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Amen. Until that form of worship would be reformed, and it was reformed not by Martin Luther, John Kelvin, John Knox, and others, but by John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 11, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, I wonder where our tent is. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. It has nothing to do with what those Jews had. Neither by the blood of goats and calves. Isn't that interesting? We have the animals being listed again. But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. We have a different tabernacle. We don't have a little tent made with cloth down here on earth. We have a house in heaven where God dwells, and Jesus Christ went into it one time, not with blood of a bullock or a calf, a male calf for himself, nor with the blood of a goat for the people. He went in once with his own blood, having obtained annual redemption for us. <clears throat> having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, that's a different day and a different event, sanctify, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the conclusion. That's the invitation of Hebrews 9, 1 through 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended up from this earth and went into the presence of God, past the veil, into the very presence of God as a man. No man had ever approached God before. Our Lord Jesus Christ went into the very presence of the living God. And he went there with his own blood through the eternal spirit who raised him from the dead. How much should that event, which is overlooked and neglected and rejected in all of our history books, how much should that event move you to hold fast your profession of faith and to live a holy life for this God that sent that son and that son that was willing to do that for you. How much should it affect you? I'm so sick of history. Who cares when our continent was discovered? Who cares who made the cotton gin or invented it? 
All of that is worthless tripe. It is drivel and twaddle. It is absolutely worthless. It will never benefit you in any aspect of your life forever. And we have to send our children off by compulsory education to learn all that drivel. But let me tell you about an event. It was 2,000 years ago. The Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth blessed his apostles and went up into heaven and appeared before his Father, our God, the Lord Jehovah. Amen. And by the power of the eternal spirit, he took his own blood and offered himself as a sacrifice for all of God's elect, which is you and me, and God accepted that sacrifice. He obtained eternal redemption for us, and he sat down, having purged us from our sins by himself, and you can't find it in a history book, except the one history book that's of value. And then we have the true definition of history. It's his story. It's God's story of what he did in creating man, purposing their fall, but purposing the redemption of his elect. That's right. This is the history that we want to remember. This is the history that you want to love. This is the history that you want to read about. Come to chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 1 and read several verses again. For the law, this is the law of Moses, having a shadow it was only a vague picture, a pitiful figure. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? If they made the people perfect, they would have quit offering them. Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Inadequate. Paul is appealing to the Jews, why do they keep offering all those sacrifices? Obviously, they don't wash away sins. If they washed away sins, they'd stop offering them because the worshipers once purged would have had no need for further sacrifice. I hope you love the Holy Spirit and our brother Paul, and what the Lord was able to do in writing the book of Hebrews. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats, hint, is that the day of atonement? The blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, To do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. 
The blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. God wasn't pleased with sacrifice, and the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, knew to what purpose he had been appointed, and that purpose was, Lord God, I know that animal sacrifices have not pleased you, therefore I have come to do thy will, O God. In the volume of the book, it is written of me what I need to do, and I'm here to do that, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Which will? I have come to do thy will, O God. The will of redemption is entirely wrapped up in the will of our sovereign God. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. Chapter 10, let's look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. There's a conclusion from everything that I've read to you. The conclusion is, we can now boldly go into the holiest. Not some little, little small room enclosed in curtains here on earth, but into the very presence of God in heaven by Jesus Christ's blood that has been offered for us once for all some 1973 years ago. We can do it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Remember, there's a therefore. It is there for the fact that he's just explained those animal sacrifices didn't do anything, but Jesus Christ opened up the way once for all. He obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 20, by a new and living way. And what is that new and living way? It's not dead bullocks and dead goats. It's a living Lord Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God and ever liveth to make intercession for us. A new and living way. Whenever you approach God, the Lord Jesus Christ is right there at his right hand, reminding the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah himself, of the sacrifice that he made for us, and we can go straight up to the Lord and approach him boldly. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us, it's made holy. Do you remember the word consecrated back there in Leviticus 16? The blood had to be sprinkled on all these things so that the people could worship God. Jesus Christ has consecrated the entire way into the holiest of all. We can walk all the way into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ literally, actually did for us 1973 years ago. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. We're past the veil. We're in the holiest of all. That is to say, his flesh, the new and living way, is the Lord Jesus Christ and his fleshly sacrifice. And having an high priest over the house of God, there's a house made without hands in heaven, brethren. It's our true temple, and we're going to be worshiping there for all of eternity. And we have that place, and we have a high priest in there taking care of our acceptance with God. What should we do because of it? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Amen. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let's have a true heart, not a double-minded heart, a true heart with full assurance of faith that we shall not be cast out, that we shall not be ashamed, the redemption's been obtained for us. Let me make it real for you. Aaron saw his two sons get burned up by fire from the Lord. Can you imagine 
when he went in the veil the next time? Do you think he went in with some intrepidation? That means fear. Do you think he went in with some fear? Did Moses mention a couple of times in telling him how he was to do it? Be careful, lest you die. Did Moses tell him that? We have something very different. I want to tell you something about Aaron. It was in the last verse of Leviticus 16. And I do want to tell you a little lesson. Every word of God is pure. Do you know what it says in the last sentence of Leviticus 16? Aaron did what God commanded Moses. That Aaron took that censer knowing that his sons had taken that censer and had gone in behind that veil. And Aaron walked behind that veil into the presence of God and lived. Because he went by faith in the word of God that told him how he could approach God. Do you know what this verse means to us? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because Jesus Christ has already gone and sprinkled that blood on his mercy seat. If you love what I'm telling you right now at all, that blood was spilt for you because this message, this message is utter folly to anyone who is not born again. You can go with full assurance of faith. If Aaron could do it and all he had was the blood of a bullock, how much more can we go boldly with full assurance because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Amen. Chapter 12. Did he tell them to afflict their souls? Did he tell them to consecrate that day and to do it forever as a perpetual observance? Is he still the same God today? Amen. Verse 28 of Hebrews 12, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Hebrews 12, 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. He is still the same God, and he still expects us to approach him reverently. And brethren, we are about to approach him with something far more important at stake than that little tent in the wilderness. We are approaching with the memorial supper of his only begotten Son. Amen. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Chapter 13, verse 10. Brethren, there are 15 to 20 million Jews, I believe that's the number, that claim to be Jews in the world, and they're observing Yom Kippur. You know, a Palestinian went into a restaurant on the night before Yom Kippur and blew himself up yesterday and killed 19 people in a restaurant. Did you read about that? Nope. You know, the Palestinians don't like those Jews on their land because it is their land. Don't forget that. God took it away from those people of Israel a long, long time ago. They're observing Yom, Yom Kippur tonight. They think that they're God's chosen people, the ones that think that they're that at all. A bunch of Deluded Christians think that they're God's chosen people, but I want to tell you what the Bible says to us tonight. Look at this. 13.10. We have an altar. You and I, we as Gentiles and as converted Hebrews who had left temple worship, we have an altar. It's in heaven. 
It's an altar in heaven where Jesus offered himself to God. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Those priests that you have left, you blessed Hebrews, those priests that are still serving the tabernacle and temple, going through all those ordinances, they have no right to touch our altar because to come to Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. You can't have the two. You can't mix the two. Did Paul write enough of that in the New Testament for you to remember that? Romans, Galatians, you cannot mix the two. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Paul is trying to encourage these converted Hebrews. We have an altar in heaven. That's right. We have an altar in heaven that those that are on earth serving the altar have no part of. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Do you remember that? The bodies of the beasts that were burned, that the blood was taken out, the fat was burned, the rest was taken out and burned up. The, 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 the fat was put on the altar, the rest was taken outside the camp. There is an altar. He's making some comparisons here for these Hebrews, and he's making them as well for us. We have an altar that Jews have no right to. And he's going to explain that. He's going to grab something from the Day of Atonement and show how Jesus fulfilled that as well. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. The whole rest of Hebrews, I hope I can get this across, the whole rest of Hebrews is about the blood that was taken in and sprinkled in the mercy seat, and that blood compares to the blood of Jesus being offered in heaven for our redemption. But there's another aspect that fits Jesus Christ. The bodies of those beasts had to be taken outside the camp and burned. Does Jesus fit that as well? Verse 12, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, blood was put on the mercy seat in heaven, suffered without the gate. His body was destroyed without the gate. Criminals were not put to death inside the city limits in the city wall of Jerusalem. It was outside. And Jesus was taken outside that city, just like the bodies of those beasts were taken out after their blood was put in the mercy seat. The blood of Jesus was put on the mercy seat in heaven. His body was taken out and destroyed outside the city. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know, these poor Jews that were converted had to turn their backs on that whole system of the law of Moses and bear the reproach of Jesus Christ. And he says, let's go outside the camp and be with him because that's where he was destroyed was outside the camp. Let's go out there with him. We have an altar that they don't have a right to. I hope you love that. We have an altar right now that we're remembering. This is simply a memorial altar. It's simply a table, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And we remember his blood being spilt for us and carried into heaven for our eternal redemption. Come back to Leviticus 23, please. Leviticus 23. I want to show you how important it is how we approach this supper. Verse 26, I'm going to read a few verses. This is God's instruction to the people of Israel on how seriously they were to take the Day of Atonement. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, also on the tenth day of this seventh month, do we have the right event? Mm -hmm. Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be in holy convocation unto you, 
and ye shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. God was very serious how the people took this one day, this tenth day of the seventh month. And don't we have a comparable passage to this? For I delivered unto you that which I also received, that the same night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And in 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul goes through the steps of the New Testament ordinance of remembering the death of Jesus Christ. And he says, but let a man examine himself. That's to afflict your soul. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For whoso eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. For this cause, many are weak, sick, and, some, and, many, and sleep among those Corinthians. Do you see that ordinance under the Old Testament, how serious it was? Aaron's two sons died. Aaron, you're going to die if you don't do it perfectly. And where men were to die if they did any work on that particular day because that day was to afflict their souls and to focus on the Day of Atonement. We have our time, and the Bible tells us that we ought to be very serious about it. What we're going to do right now is we're going to have a few minutes of silence and I hope that you will afflict your soul before the Lord God and His Son Jesus Christ and confess any sins that you do not have confessed and beg Him for mercy and for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And Brother Eric is going to come after a couple of minutes and lead us in some more singing. We'll have the Lord's Supper. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.